0: The accumulator holding the hydraulic fluid that got pumped out through the system, the pipes that carried superheated high-pressure air off the engines and sent it for use in the plane's cabin heating system, none of these things were much to look at or remotely exciting until of course they went wrong. The air pipes were what interested Carver; they were covered in thick silver-colored cladding held with plastic clips and they formed a network through the plane via valves and junctions, pretty much like a domestic water system. So he messed with the plumbing, loosening one of the junctions so that the hot air would leak from it. The junction in question was barely a hand's breadth away from the hydraulic accumulator. By the time Carver closed the equipment bay hatch and walked away, the fate of the aircraft was sealed. There was a TV on in the passenger lounge the CNN reporter having a hard time holding back his tears as he stood in front of a blackened, burned-out church. "'We can't show you what it looks like inside the smoking charnel house behind me,' he said, an undertone of barely restrained passion colouring his lyrical Irish brogue. The scenes are too appalling, too sickening. The charred and mutilated corpses of four hundred innocent women and children lie in there. The scent of their burned flesh fills the air all around. While Western politicians turn their eyes away from this insignificant corner of West Africa, a ten-year civil war has descended into genocide. The rebel forces mounting this ruthless campaign are better trained and equipped than ever before. Their leaders are showing levels of organization and strategic planning far ahead of anything they have displayed before. Somehow, somewhere, these merciless killers have acquired new resources, new expertise, and so... As the village's few survivors search among the corpses for their loved ones, one question comes inevitably to mind. Who is backing the rebels? For whoever they are, and whatever their motivation, they have the blood of an entire people on their hands. Shit! This boy's a friggin' comedian! Wellon McCabe slapped a hand against his thigh as he addressed the three other men in the room. Most of the time McCabe's eyes were cold, narrow slits in wrinkled folds of leathery skin that seemed permanently screwed up against the glare of his native Texan sun. Now he was letting his guard down, opening up a little, taking it easy with his buddies. "'Man, I swear he's about to cry, just to show how sensitive he is. But I'll bet he don't care about a bunch of dead niggers any more now, do He's just in it for himself!' thinking on the prizes he's going to get for being such a damn humanitarian. Hell, he might make almost as much money out of this war as me. I seriously doubt that, boss, said one of the other men, swigging from a bottle of Molson Canadian. Well, I don't know, Clint, replied McCabe with a grin. Sure, my diamonds'll pay better, but you got to consider the costs. He ain't had to ante up for guns and ammo, instructors to train them native boys. Here, throw me one of them beers afore a of thirst. McCabe was a long way past sixty, but for all the lines on his face, he was still tougher and possessed of more energy than most men half his age. He had spent the past three days on the northern coast of the Yukon and Northwest Territories. From there on up to the North Pole, it was pretty much just ice. Now he was sitting in a private room in the terminal at Mike Zubko Airport, right outside the town of Inuvik waiting on the plane that would take him home. He was trying to decide whether to pursue his hunch that there were significant oil deposits in the region. The major corporations had all pulled out of the area. Oil was cheap, extraction would be expensive, and the local Eskimos, Whelan McCabe was damned if he'd called them Inuits, screw them if they felt offended, were getting uppity about their tribal lands getting despoiled. The way they saw it, The upside wasn't worth the aggravation. McCabe, however, looked around the world at where all the oil was, and where all the trouble was, and saw they were all pretty much the same places. Sooner or later, between the towel-heads in the Middle East and the commies down in South America, supplies would be threatened. Meanwhile, there were billions of Chinese and Indians buying automobiles and building factories, so demand could only go up. High demand and insecure supply— Would mean rocketing prices, and fields that were only marginal now would become worth exploiting. At that point, who gave a damn what a bunch of seal hunters thought? A few bucks in the right pockets, and that problem.